burnt offering. And, and what they're communicating is, is, thank you, God. I belong to you, God. I'm devoted to you. You're my king. You're the giver of all good things. I give to you the first and the best of my harvest because all of it is yours and because you are worthy of all of it. And then look here. They give to God a, a drink offering. Do you see that in verse 13? And this would have just been wine kind of poured out upon the altar, and it would almost always accompany a grain offering. Uh, it's the first time we have it mentioned in Leviticus, I think, to emphasize the point that, that, that these are all the staple elements that make up a meal, right? You have uh, the, 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 the burnt offering or the, the food that would be their lamb, and then you have uh, the grain, you know, some bread, and, and then you got your wine, all these staple elements. And so you can, you can get the kind of picture that it's painting for us here, right? There's a meal being presented to God. And God eats it, right? We know he doesn't need food or water. He doesn't get hungry. But the idea is that because God is the king, he eats first. And he eats the best portion. People honor him in this. really feel like I have to sneeze. I keep waiting for it to come, and it's not coming. Anyhow, they, they think that God is going to eat this meal, and so he is the priority. He's getting the first and the best. And see, the, the whole thing is to show that God is worthy of their first and of their best. So the image I get that when I was trying to think through this this week, I was like, what? how can we illustrate this? And I thought of when a, a child comes to, the, to a parent, and asks, you know, mommy, daddy, can, can I have, I know your birthday's coming up, can I have, you know, $20 to buy you a birthday gift, right? Maybe you've been through this ritual. And the parent says, of course, sweetheart, and you know, gives them the money, and then the child goes out and, you know, buys something, comes back, uh, you know, uh, here is your, your, these wonderful, this nesting doll that I got you for your birthday. And the parent says, oh, thank you so much. What a, what a wonderful gift. But really, the, the reality of that situation is that the child isn't really giving to the parent something that didn't actually come from the parent. You see what I'm saying? So, so likewise, when the people of Israel are giving to God, they're giving to God something that he has provided them with. He, he doesn't need it, but he's worthy of it. He doesn't need their gifts, but he's worthy of them. And so the people bring God their gifts and acknowledge him as their king and their provider. They express their dependence on and devotion to him, their good and mighty king. That's kind of the, the shape of this festival of the first fruits. But there's a little bit more to it than that. And, and we get that picture when we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 26. And in chapter 26 of Deuteronomy, we have being described for us the feast of harvests the first fruits that would be offered then. But I, I think the same story, if you will, applies to this situation. So, so look with me there in Deuteronomy chapter 26. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you take possession of it and live in it, Take some of the first of all the land's produce that you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you and to put it in a basket 
Then go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. When you come before the priest who is serving at that time, say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have entered the land the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest will take the basket from you and place it before the altar of the Lord your God. You are to respond by saying in the presence of the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with a few people and resided there as an alien. There he became a great and powerful and populous nation. But the Egyptians mistreated and oppressed us and forced us to do hard labor. So we called out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our cry and saw our misery, hardship, and depression. Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with terrifying power and with signs and wonders. He led us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I have now brought you the first of the land's produce, Lord, that you have given me. You will then place the container before the Lord your God and bow down to him. You, the Levites, and the resident aliens among you will rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you in your household. And so you can see how this kind of heartbeat would undergird the giving of the first fruits. The people are saying to God, Today I've come into the land that you swore to give to our forefathers. We've inherited the promise. And here is the crop, the, the blessing of the promise. The land is indeed flowing with milk and honey. It's as if they're saying, you, Lord, have been faithful to your covenant promises, delivering us from oppression and slavery, giving us the land which flows with milk and honey, and blessing us with the good gifts of food. They are remembering and recalling once more their identity as God's people who he saved out of Egypt. They're remembering that because they're apt to forget it. All of these festivals are meant to recall the Israelites back to the Lord. They're to take their minds back to the Lord, their God. They're to be like flashbulb memories. Is all of a sudden when you're offering the first fruits here, you're kind of dramatically portraying what has happened, right? I have come out of slavery in Egypt. You have saved me. Now I am enjoying the things that you have promised to me. And I'm offering them back to you as a sign of my worship. Acknowledging you as king. You are worthy of my first and my best. Remembering is so crucial in the life of Israel. That's why this Exodus story seems to be on a loop, just repeating over and over and over again. Like all the festivals so far have pointed back to the Exodus. Because the people need to remember their salvation came by the grace of God. And it's because of their salvation in response to the kindness of God that they worship. He is a good king. The people must not forget. We're not much better than Israel when it comes to remembering the Lord our God. Which brings us to the first of the festival's lessons that I would like to point out. Remember God's faithfulness. 
remember God's faithfulness. Some of us come to church week after week and we hear the the gospel preached and we get a little bored and we go, I've heard this message before. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he he rose from the dead. I I get it. Why, Why are we preaching the same message over and over and over again? Martin Luther actually had uh, someone come to him and say this after church. Every week you preach to us the same message, and, and Luther's response was, because every week you forget it. And he's right. I mean, just, just think back to a month ago. I mean, can you remember the sermon? I didn't think anybody was going to volunteer, because I, I can hardly remember the sermon a month ago. But it's because we, we are a forgetful people, and we need reminded But that doesn't mean that the preaching of God's word is unimportant or that our attention to the gospel is unimportant. You probably don't remember what you ate for dinner two weeks ago. But that meal has sustained you and helped make you. Likewise, the the preaching of God's word makes us and shapes us over time even if we can't remember each and every sermon that we've, ever, that we've listened to. The, the preaching of God's word, our, our gathering together, our devotion to God's word, reminds us of God's faithfulness, reminds us of his goodness to us in the gospel, reminds us of our Exodus story. And this is always just told so beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to read to you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too once walked among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children of wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. I mean, just, I'm going to stop there. Do you understand what that means? When you put your faith in Jesus, you are united to him. And so there is a sense that if you're in Christ, that right now you are seated with him at the right hand of God. You see that in verse 6? What that means is that for God to to de-resurrect you or to not deliver on his promise to resurrect you bodily in the future, for God to take his love from you, he would have to take his love away from Jesus himself. Jesus himself would have to be taken off of the throne in heaven and sucked back into the grave of Joseph of Arimathea. That's how secure the salvation of the Christian is. If your faith is in Jesus, you are united to Jesus. And you can take the promises of God to the bank. That was an aside. Verse 7. I'll start. Verse 16. He also raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that... In the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. 
It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So the message of our exodus is that we were enslaved to sin. We were the, the, the walking dead. And God made us alive together with Christ. Not because of anything we did, but because of who He is. Because of His wonderful mercy and kindness and grace. I mean, friends, we, we were drowned dead at the bottom of the ocean. And God plucked us up put us on dry land and breathed life into our lungs and said, live. He saved us from sin and death. We were under His right wrath. We were going toward an eternity in hell. And He interrupted us and said, no, no, no. Turn from sin. Put your faith in Jesus and enjoy all the blessings that are due to my Son. We were sinners, enemies of God, when Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. But God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Friends, that is good news. It is news that should cause your heart to leap in its chest. I was dead and now I am alive. I was blind but now I see. We must never grow bored of the gospel. We must never allow our affections to grow cold. We need to be as the child who has that familiar story told to them over and over and still says, again, again, again. My kids on the way to uh, the beach a few weeks ago, we went on vacation. Uh, and We have one of those, you know, the DVD player can flip down in the van. And they watched Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse over and over and over. And each time it ended, they were like, we have to watch that again. It's just so good. Couldn't wait. I mean, even right now, like they weren't paying attention, but they heard Spider-Man and the Spider-Man, and they're both attention. They're at attention. And this is how we should be. When we hear the name of Jesus, we should be at attention. That's my Lord and my God and my King and the gospel story. I can't hear it enough. I want to hear it again and again and again. I want to rehearse it. I want to sing it in my heart. It is so good. King Jesus is coming to the world to save sinners. Rejoice, the Lord is King. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say, rejoice! Don't ever get over the gospel. He saved us. Non-Christian, you are where all of us have been under the wrath of God. At war with God. Friends, you don't have to stay there. This good news, this story, salvation can be your story. Repent of your sins. 
Be baptized. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to remember God's faithfulness. And we also want to be devoted to God. That's the second lesson from this festival I would like to point out. We want to make God our priority. So we've seen that the people make God their priority by giving to Him their first and their best. This expresses their devotion to Him, their loyalty to Him. And remember, they're giving God their first fruits, not because God needs those first fruits, but in order to train their hearts, in order to pledge their loyalty to Him. And so likewise, we, we make God the priority in our lives, not because God needs us to. He's not needy. But in order to train our hearts after Christ's own. Some of the ways that are just really practical to do this, I'm going to give you three. Gathering together on the Lord's Day like this, we express our devotion to God. First day of the week, first few hours of the day, we are gathering together corporately in order to express our worship to, to the King. Say that Jesus is the most important thing in my life. That's how I'm going to start my week. He, he raised on the first day of the week, and I get up on Sunday morning and I gather together with my local church in order to worship Him. He's my priority. Another way we do this, and, and this is, I think, kind of basic Christianity. If there's one like next step after you become a Christian, this is it. It's just having a, what many call a quiet time. A designated time each day where you're going to devote yourself to the Word of God and prayer. Say, well, I don't have time for that. Yes, you do. We make time for what we love. And I'm not here to say that every day when you spend time in God's Word and, and praying, that it's going to revolutionize your life. Probably won't. But it will bear good fruit over time. And you will never regret a day that you spent giving time to God and His Word and in prayer. Make it a priority to read God's Word, to think about it, to pray. God will Bless this spiritual discipline when you make him a priority in terms of how you spend your time. Thirdly, we ought to make God a priority in our finances. We don't have first fruits to offer anymore, but the most equivalent thing that we would do would be financial. So we want to make giving to the preaching of the gospel a priority in our lives. Specifically, by giving to our local church, giving to missions, and other worthy ministries. We want to leverage our resources in a way that honors God and shows that He is our priority. All of these things are just small pieces of our lives. But it is really all of our lives that Jesus demands lordship over. Remember that first commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He is worthy of all of your life. He should be first in your affections above everything else. 
If Jesus is not first in your life, he says, you are not worthy of him. He is worthy of being utmost in your affections. He's worthy of being your priority. A man named Vance Havner wrote a book entitled, Lord of What's Left. I think the title refers to the way many of us relate to God or treat God. We, we make him sovereign king, the master of our leftovers. Or we take the best for ourselves, saying something to God like, God, you are the master and Lord, the God of everything I don't care about and everything I don't want. So the second that you call me to do something that I don't want to do, well, I don't really have to do that. But everything else in my life, the things that I don't care about or the things I don't want, you are Lord. Let me ask you, Christian. Is Jesus just the Lord of what's left in your life? Or is he your king? Your priority? Are you devoted to God? Third lesson I think we can learn from the feast of the first fruits is dependence on God. We should be those who, who confidently trust in God. And so part of what's going on here when they're offering the first fruits is they're called first fruits for a reason, right? They're trusting God that second and third and fourth and fifth fruits will come. They're giving to him initially out of the harvest because they believe that there is going to be more to follow, that God has been good to bless them with the first fruits and that he is going to continue to be good to bless them with the next fruits. I think one of the things I struggle with from time to time is forgetting just how faithful God is. Forgetting that God always provides everything I need. Maybe you're like that. Maybe even right now you've got things that you're worried about. Have you ever done that? You're worrying about you know, well, what I'm, what I'm going to eat for lunch and what I'm going to do later tonight and, and I've got this thing tomorrow and this thing in a week and you know, other things you're worried about for 10 years from now. Go ahead and think right now, just everybody, I'm sure most of us, unless you're just really, really holy, you have something that you can just drudge up really quick that you've been worrying about. You have it? Listen, this is important. God is going to provide everything you need for that situation to work out perfectly according to his will. Important to note, according to his will, not your will. God is going to provide everything you need for that situation or that thing you're worried about to work out perfectly according to His will. And here's good news. His will is better than your will. One of the most profound things we can realize is that God always gives us everything we would ask for if we knew everything that he knows. 
He's omnipotent, omniscient. He's God. And He's always doing a million things in the world. And we're maybe cognizant of two or three of them. His ways are mysterious. And we can't always get our arms around His purposes. But we can trust Him. We can trust that He is providing. We can trust that He is working everything out for our good and for His glory. We can trust Him to to meet our, our small, trifling needs as well as our big needs because He's met our greatest need of reconciliation with Him. Romans 8.32 He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? God is so for you that He gave up His one and only Son. Death on a cross. If He was willing to do that, He's willing to do anything for you. That means we can, we can take our, our worries and our, our worst fears, and we, we, can, we can take them from our hearts and in prayer, place them in the hands of God, and we can leave them there. We can face difficulty and suffering and uncertainty and death, saying, Jesus is for me. So I can face anything. I can face death. I know the future is in his hands. He wouldn't wouldn't go to all this trouble and not give me what I really need. That means you are not going to enter into hardship one day before God decides you need to. It means that your suffering isn't going to end one minute before God deems it appropriate. It means that your death will not come one moment before God has appointed it. God is for you. And He's sovereign over everything. And He's good. That means we can trust Him with absolutely everything. That means we can depend on Him for our daily needs and for that greatest need of reconciliation. It means we can seek first the kingdom of God and trust that God will provide for us all that we need. Confidently depend on God's provision. That brings us to the fourth part of our little outline this morning, the festival's fulfillment. And if you've been tuned out, now's the time to tune back in because this is the really good part. This is the really good part. Listen to what Dr. Mosley says. Passover was on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, the first day of the Jewish calendar. And the festival of unleavened bread began on the day after Passover, on the 15th day of Nisan. During the week of the festival of unleavened bread, a Sabbath would have occurred. The Sabbath was a Saturday, and the next day was a Sunday. When Jesus was crucified at the beginning of Passover, the day of Passover, the 14th of Nisan, was also a Sabbath, a Saturday. The next day was Sunday. 
that day began the festival of unleavened bread. And in the case of the year that Jesus was crucified, that Sunday was also the festival of first fruits, because it was the day after a Sabbath during the festival of unleavened bread. That Sunday was the festival of first fruits, and it was the day Jesus was resurrected. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Do you hear the good news? Jesus Christ is raised as the firstfruits of the resurrection from the dead. And all who have put their faith in him, we're the next fruits. We too will rise bodily from the dead and be like Jesus, living life together with God and with one another. What that means, Christian, is that death is not something that you won't recover from. What that means is that there's nothing wrong with you that a good resurrection won't fix, isn't going to fix. Jesus is the first fruits, and we are the harvest that will follow. All because God decided that he would save sinners like us through Jesus. Praise God that he died so that our sins might be forgiven. Praise God that he rose from the dead so we might be free from death, so that we might enjoy eternal life. Those of us who follow Jesus will follow him into the grave and out the other side. So we make Jesus our priority because he is worthy. We depend upon Jesus because he is faithful to provide. And we remember and rehearse week after week, day after day, the good news that King Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time we've had to gather and submit ourselves to your word. 
We ask that you would help us to honor you as our King and as our Lord. That you would shape everything about us. Conform us more and more to the image of Christ Jesus our Lord. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, (laughs) as Mike passes it out to you, I'm going to read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many, or one body since all of us share the one bread. Now reading from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. the body of Christ broken for you. It's the blood of Christ shared for you. Pray with me, please. Father, we pray today that what has been said and done here has brought you honor, glory, and praise. Thank you for providing this place and the freedom to come here and worship you today. We admit that we are sinners saved by your grace. Your grace, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross in our place, for his body that was broken and his blood that was spilled there on the cross for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand for a hymn of response, Trust and Obey, hymn number 437.
Would you pray the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Amen.